We're going to be in Mark. Um, we've been traveling through the book of Mark, and so we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. And we're, we're picking up at the end, just reading, starting at verse 35 down to 41. So that's Mark 4, 35 down to 41. Here's what it says. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him, this is Jesus we're talking about, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. I remember it like it was yesterday, really. I, I was gasping for air. I mean, I, I could barely breathe. <laughs> I was it, was, it was actually the last soccer game I ever played in college. It was in Dallas, Texas. And uh, it was halftime. And I, ca- I, I came off the field and my coach approached me and said something like, Matt, pick it up. You know, we lost that game. That's why I don't like Texas to this day. (laughs) But, um, you know, he screamed, pick it up. And I remember looking at him and I remember saying, I cannot breathe. You know, I I wasn't having an asthma attack or anything like that. It was Texas, right? I don't know if you know, I, 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 I went to school in Maine. Okay, I don't know if you're familiar, but those two places have different climates. So I, I think I, when I boarded the plane, it was like 47 and sunny. This is like late October, early November. When I arrived in Texas, it was 97 and sweltering hot, right? Like, it was, the game was rigged, obviously. <laughs> like, it's not fair, right? So I come off, I say, Coach, I can't breathe, man. This is like debilitating. And he, got, he, he looked at me and he, he pointed right at me, like right in my face. And he said, I don't expletive care, figure it out, right? I loved my coach, I did. I I don't say that to actually critique him. He was incredibly kind and caring. Um, I look fondly on those days. I'm I'm really thankful for those days. Uh, I I was taken well care of. I mean, (laughs) I got nutritional care physical care, you know, like I, I had curfews, study tables, tutoring if I needed tutoring, 
you name it. I mean, they, 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 they made me, they watched me and counted how many water bottles I would drink, you know? It was like, drink every one of those, you know? I mean, diet, everything, you, you name it. I mean, I, they took such good care of me. Uh, but I also learned hard lessons. I was stretched, you know? I learned a lot about what it meant to lose. I learned a lot about what it meant to be humiliated. I learned a lot uh, about being challenged. And in many ways, that's why I think of that time so admiringly because um, it was a four-year stretch of time for me where both I was really deeply cared for, but at the same time, man, I, I was pushed in ways I, thought, I didn't think were possible, and I learned a lot. And I just only tell you that story because I think discipleship, there, there's a lot of overlap with discipleship in that. And I think you see that in the story. That, that little, just it's a tiny little, there's, you know, such an economy of words there that Mark uses to tell that story in the boat's a famous story. It's really about power. It's, you know, Mark's trying to say, he's trying to get you to ask the same question that they asked at the end, which is, who is this Jesus? Like, what do we do with Jesus? What do I love about Jesus? What do I not like about Jesus? What is confusing about Jesus? And he's trying to get you to ask that question. Who is this Jesus? And it's about the power of Jesus. But what's interesting is the power of Jesus is very paradoxical. Like, if you notice, think about it. Jesus, both in this scene, this is power, that like infinite power. It can, it, can, it can scold the wind, and yet it also is power that sleeps. That's strange, right? Like, he does both. This is someone who can talk to the wind and tell it what to do, and at the same time, he takes naps. When you put those together, this is a strange mix. And so how do we work that out? So Jesus has just finished a day of, of healings and teachings about the kingdom of God. We, we've been doing that for the last couple of weeks. We've been looking at that, all the work that he's been doing, all in a single day, of healing and, and teaching about the kingdom of heaven. And he wants to go to the other side because he wants to keep preaching and spreading the word. And they didn't waste any time. And they just, it says they took him just as he was. He didn't clean up or dress up, change up, none of that. He just goes. The Sea of Galilee that they're on is surrounded by mountains. And the lake itself sits quite a bit below sea level, which it, for climate reasons creates, you know, a, a lot of wind patterns, strange wind patterns and weather patterns, still to this day even. And so a storm hits them um, on this particular little trip, and it's really bad. Um, for reference, the kind of boats that they typically would travel in during this you know, time is about 26 feet in length and about four feet high. We've actually excavated some from the mud, and so we've actually seen some. And so that's not the size of a boat you want to be on when it's like gale force winds. And so it's a bit scary. And so Mark says that the boat's taking on water, and strangely enough, Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. Oh, Jesus, he's on a, he's on a pillow uh, in the back of the boat. And the disciples wake him with these fearful accusations, you know, which is interesting, isn't it? Something that resonates deeply for, probably for you if you're a Christian. It's verse 38, they, they, they say, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? You know, they're not, notice it's not, they're not waking him saying, hey, I'm, Jesus, I know you're here. I, I'm freaking out though. You know, they wake him up and it's, do you even care? Jesus, are you indifferent to this? Where's your lordship? 
Don't you see that we're in trouble, man? Get a grip. And Jesus gets up and like a boss rebukes the wind. Did you notice that he rebukes the wind? Like he speaks to the wind like it's a child. And he says, peace be still. Now that translation, I don't like that translation. Literally in the Greek, it's like he's saying to the wind, shut up and stay shut up. That's what he says. Be quiet and stay quiet. That's what he literally says to the wind. And then the wind takes its orders and goes from a great, great, you know, stir and storm to now it's a great calm. So it's like glass on the lake. And then he turns to the disciples and he's not very soft, is he? He's not like soft and tender. I mean, he's says something that's a little tough for us. I mean, you know, I, I, we would like to think that he said, hey, little buddies, it's okay. Are you scared? It's okay. I'm here. I'm gonna make it all okay. I wish that that's what he said. <laughs> but that's not. It's not. He, he's like, hey, man, what's the matter with you? Where's your, where's your guts? Where's your courage? Where's your faith? And then, uh, interestingly, Mark says, verse 41, they were filled with great fear. In other words, this is really strange, but they were even more terrified of Jesus' presence and power than they were of the, like, hurricane. That's so fascinating. What's going on? You know, it's like, we just read the story and we go, okay, he is one who can calm the sea. Yes. Okay, but what do you do with that in terms of trying to figure out how am I supposed to live out as a disciple? Well, there are some obvious differences, but let me just state this. And some of you maybe have already picked up on this or you've known this about the story because it's a famous story. But the way Mark writes this little story, he's deliberately trying to trigger your imagination and your memory of another story. Anybody remember when that little story is? Jonah. It's what he's doing. The story I'm talking about is the prophet Jonah. Jonah, if you're not familiar, was a significant preacher too in the Old Testament. Um, he's really good at preaching. He's got a little bit of a bad attitude, but he's really good at preaching. And so he's sent to go preach as well. So he gets in a boat one time. He slept during a storm one time. He is awakened by sailors in that storm with similar accusations. Those sailors are like, what are you doing? Don't you care? Get up. Same thing going on. And God eventually calmed that storm too, uh, And coincidentally, the sailors on that boat with Jonah end up being terrified of God and worshiping as well. And so it's like a mere image. And Mark's, that's what Mark's doing. I mean, Mark's writing to a particular group of people that he would assume that they are familiar with the Jonah story. And so Mark is trying to trigger that in them. So it's like a mere image, except one major thing, if you're familiar. And you can just turn to the book of Jonah and look at chapter one if you want. You'll see it. It's a really short book. One major difference, right? Uh, For sure. Jonah hit a storm because he's avoiding responsibility. Jesus and the disciples are hitting a storm because they're leaning right into it. And that's a big difference. Sometimes my point here is that, and and we and I have talked about this before. Really, week one, we talked about this when we opened the book of Mark. Sometimes storms hit our life because we are avoiding responsibility. That happens. Sometimes we're avoiding the very thing that our soul needs or 
we're avoiding the very thing um, that God wants us to do for the good of other people. And because we are constantly avoiding and escaping it, storms hit our life and it gets really difficult. That happens. We've all probably experienced that at some point. However, at the same time, one of the biggest lies about the Christian life that really just drives me nuts is this lie that says when you do right and lean into your calling, God will buff out the rough edges and make everything smooth for you. Wrong. Sometimes it's when you start believing and following Jesus, it's when the trouble starts. You end up having to face all kinds of hard things. Sometimes taking up the task that God commands of us actually invites the storms. And this won't be the only time. It'll, they'll hit another storm in a couple chapters for the same thing. He'll say, get in the boat and go. And they were obedient, and then they hit a storm. Try loving your kids or your grandkids with total sacrifice, as is good for you. And storms will hit sometimes. Try serving in the church like a holy sacrifice, as the Apostle Paul talks about. And sometimes storms hit. Try working with integrity and justice in your career, and sometimes storms hit. Storms can be emotional. Storms can be physical, like you're, you, you, you try to take care of yourself, and like your body starts to break and fall apart. Storms of course, can be spiritual and our faith wanes. We wonder where it's at. Be under no illusions. Taking up a life of real discipleship is, I'm convinced, following Jesus is full of color. It's full of wonder. It's full of enchantment. It's full of beauty. It's, there's richness there that is really hard for me to describe and articulate the longer I follow Jesus. Um, however, it's, it's also real, it's full of a lot of tears and grief. It's full of a lot of tension and battling out what it means to, to walk in justice and mercy. That's, that's the life of following Jesus. And those are storms. And I try to talk about this frequently around here because I think churches lie to people about it. And so, you know, if you tend here a lot, you're familiar, like, yeah, this seems to be his shtick. Yep, get comfortable with it. You know, uh, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just trying to be honest about what we face. Otherwise, the, I think that the stories, particularly the stories that we see in the gospels, they won't connect with us. But when we see them and they, they begin to really come alive and we can actually place ourselves into them and we can go, man, these are like fellow travelers of the difficulty of Christianity. And so I just want you to know that up front as we kind of just unpack this a little bit more. I'll quote the classic G.I. Joe here. Basically what I'm trying to say is knowing is half the battle, <laughs> right? Knowing, some of you are like, I have no, for those my age and older know what I'm talking about. Knowing is half the battle. Knowing that sometimes it is the fact that you are leaning into the very thing that God wants of you, that it is getting really difficult. All right, but there's another half. <laughs> Right, there's another half to the story that we, we need to talk about. And there's another half that I think is in the story itself and that helps us with, okay, we're like knowing that's good, but also what do I do when I'm in the storm? Well, there's two things really, two, two, two things that I want to remind us of that I think we see here that, wouldn't, you know, to, that help us when we're in a storm, okay? The first one is this, um, in storms, 
uh, I'd just be reminded of this. It's okay to be exhausted. You know, it's not overly complicated, right? It's just, it's okay to get exhausted. I mean, think about it. Look, did Jesus, did Jesus sleep on the boat because he had complete trust, right, in his heavenly father or because he is spent, totally physically spent from spending the whole day healing, teaching, and talking to really argumentative people? Which one? And you can look up different writers on this text and you can see them. Like one just loves to go and no, this is just about trust, you know? And I'm like, no, he's also just tired, you know? I preach one sermon on Sunday and I take Advil when I get home because I'm like, my legs just hurt. And you're like, well, that's because you paced all the time. I know, you know, and I'm angsty. I can't imagine spending the whole day. He's exhausted. What you have, you know, it's interesting, this little story, just in this little tidbit story, you've got the hypostatic union right there. He, this is Jesus. He's fully divine and fully human. It's right there, right there in front of you. And as far as the human part goes, Jesus doesn't seem somehow to, re, and I love this about Jesus, and we miss this so often about Jesus, but Jesus, even though he's fully divine, he never removes his humanity. Like, he actually lives out his humanity in such a way that gives us such power and dignity and beauty. He never sheds his, his humanity. Notice that. He cries, he sweats, he gets, he gets sick, he gets sleepy. Can you imagine? I mean, like, sleeping's a vulnerable thing, right? I don't want any of you to look at me when I'm sleeping. I don't want to look at you when you're sleeping. I'd be like, woof, didn't look like that on Sunday. <laughs> Can you imagine looking at Jesus sleeping? It's like such a strange thing, you know? I don't ever sleep nor slumber, right? That's the Old Testament. Well, he sure seems to be sleeping and slumbering right now in this boat. And so it's strange to me, but Jesus is human and he's tired. He needed to sleep, so he slept. And Jesus works so hard, but he also rests. And he'll regularly, and we talked about this the other day, he will regularly withdraw to pray. He, I, I, what I, one of the things I just love about Jesus is, is he doesn't just listen um, to his, his own body. He, he listens to other people and what they're going through. And it, it, he, he listens to what's happening in them and he honors it. Later in the story, in the midst of serving, uh, Jesus will say this. This is Mark 6, verse 31. He says, and he said to them, to the disciples, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. You know? Church people are weird about rest because they're like, well, the devil doesn't take naps. And I'm like, well, how's it working out for the devil? <laughs> Not really great. Authentic disciples... In my experience, when I was raised in the church, authentic, real disciples are some of the hardest serving sacrificial people I encounter. And yet that somehow, and this is important, and it should be so axiomatic, but it's just like somehow that doesn't give them superhuman bodies. Your bodies break down. They don't somehow become more than human. They are still creatures that just break apart sometimes. And when you're serving and giving your life away for the sake of something bigger than yourself, 
what I'm trying to get at here is just simply this. Just learn to listen to your body. Learn to listen to what's going on inside of you. Learn to listen to what your soul needs. Learn to rest and take breaks with intention, you know, so you can truly center yourself. And to do that isn't, isn't, to do that is not escape. I would say to do so might be and probably is the most holy thing that you could do. And you need someone in your life that's telling you that. And you're like, wait, I don't understand. But think about it. What drives you to to compulsively work and work and work and serve? Who do you think you are? Well, I'm not human. That's not going to go well for you. I mean, some church people would scold Jesus for taking a nap. Jesus, don't you know there's prayers to pray? Jesus, don't you know that there are sick people? Jesus, don't you know that there are lost people? Where's your your sense of mission, Jesus? And Jesus is like, I'm tired. It's a strange irony of workaholism, whether it's happening outside the church or inside the church is sadly, we actually praise workaholics. We praise them. We do. It's like badges of honor. honor. It's strange and perverted to me that servants, leaders, and especially pastors will rightly get removed, rightly get removed from stealing or sleeping around or something like that. But if they compulsively work to the detriment of their bodies, their souls, and their families, they'll get bigger titles and bigger races. And that's weird. And we're all guilty of it, myself included. Creaturely limitations, which we all have, aren't simply something God condones. They're what he created in us. So they're not bad. Embracing limitations isn't just permissible to God. It's actually really humble and wise. That's something I've been learning over time. It's actually a a show of your maturity, knowing how to balance these things out. Compulsory work that doesn't listen to limitations, both in yourself and I would say other people around you, isn't just mature discipleship. Um, You know, it's... What it shows is there's an unrested, ill-defined ego in someone. That's what grandiosity is. When you think that you can keep going and go and you don't embrace, you don't recognize the limits within yourself or the limits within other people, that's grandiosity. That's not maturity. And so what we see in Jesus is Jesus knows how to, to honor the body and he knows how to honor the bodies of other people. Mature discipleship to Jesus means listening and watching Jesus so that we serve, we give, and we listen to our bodies and souls. And in vulnerability, we ask for help when we're weak or tired. We pause, we rest, we withdraw intentionally for refreshment so that we can step back in. And I know the the rule that goes for churches and probably in the marketplace too, the 80-20 rule that 20% 20% of the people do 80% of all the work. So apparently this, fir- this first point of my sermon is only for the 20% in the room. But that's okay with me, you know? You need to hear that. The other piece to this is this, this number two. When in storms, remember this, 
in Christ, your heart capacity is greater than you think. Now, I'm not contradicting myself here. But in Christ, your heart capacity is greater than you think. What Jesus says is straightforward, and it's just a gut punch, right? Like, it's stretching their hearts beyond what they think is possible. Many of us, if not all of us, I know for me, I I did. But Jesus' questions back, they're hard to hear. Verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Not for me, you know, that's tough. I mean, because there's just as here was this is essentially what Jesus is saying, right? He's saying, Where's your courage? Where's your belief system right now? What's operating right now? Think it through, track it down, right? What's got you in the grip right now in this moment? That's what he's doing. He's doing a little interrogating work. He's not yelling at them per se, but he is asking really hard, uncomfortable questions. He's inviting them to go to uncomfortable places in their hearts and in their minds. He's saying, guys, what is he doing? He's calling to the storm and he's turned to them and he said, look beyond the circumstances. What are the circumstances revealing about you? What are the circumstances exposing in you? What about is going on? What, What insight are you getting here? What's there to learn and notice about yourself? But that, that process is frustrating for people. It's been frustrating for me. I, for one, at least, I hate it at times. I'll, and I'll admit every time that I study this boat scene or the other one that will come up in chapter six, I look for a way to soften what Jesus is saying. Because so sometimes I'm like, man, there's probably, this is probably a clunky translation. There's probably, there's probably a whole lot more tenderness going on here than we actually realize. This is just some angry scholar who's writing this down. He's grumpy. No, there's, I've looked and I've looked and it's not there. I can't find a way to soften what Jesus says. It's not there. And I've thought more and more about that. And I've realized this. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. Let me, let me explain what I mean. It's just take a few minutes and then... But I've just finished up this past year. In January, I finished it up. I took a, taking a year course called Reflective Practices for ministry leaders and pastors. I won't, I'll spare you all the details where you'll just leave here more confused um, and you'll want the next five minutes of your life back. But here's what I'll say in summary. Essentially, it's, it's this. It's learning how to listen to myself while I'm trying to listen to someone else. Okay, that sounds strange, I know. But when you do that, it just actually informs and shapes better listening. So um, whenever someone is talking to you, especially when someone, and this is true of all of us, but whenever someone's talking to you, especially about their pain or their difficulty, it will inevitably trigger within you certain stories, feelings, memories, right? belief systems, needs that are within you. Whenever someone is particularly getting closer and closer and closer to their pain, and you're trying to listen to it, it's triggering something in you. Now, that's not bad. It's like, good, you're not a sociopath. You feel things when other people are talking, particularly when they're talking about their anger or their sadness 
or their fear. As they talk about those things, those certain things are being brought out inside of you. Now, the thing about this is, is the more you are aware of it and how it's shaping the way you're responding back to them is incredibly, not only just insightful, it gives you a better capacity to listen to them the more you become aware. And some of this just has to happen after the fact. I'll admit that. And so one of the things they taught me was um, to notice when I'm listening to someone and that, that person's getting close to their particular pain point. Like, so they're sharing um, the ways that, you know, they're angry or they're sharing the ways that they're sad. They're sharing their fear. They're, they're sharing their sense of, you know, uncertainty about their life. And maybe I'm, start, I'm quick to jump in and reassure them. Oh, that's not true of you. Oh, no, don't worry about that. Or I'm quick to jump in and try to fix it, like with a, you know, go cognitive on them and just like, well, let's start talking about all the solutions here. So I would, do, you know, I would have to do this literally in front of trained professionals with videos of me doing that just with other people. And then they would be like, pause. Why'd you say that? Well, because that was brilliant. <laughs> right? Um, but no. And what they were saying is, is like, I, it's, if I know you're trying to be nice, um, is this like, but is this, what does this have to do with you? Maybe there's something about their pain that's you're reassuring them because you don't like to be in pain. And it's like, that's not true, right? That's where we do. That's where we go. And essentially, the question that would be asked is this, and this is what I'm still in the process of learning to notice and seeing myself. It's essentially, what I would learn to, to notice is this. How do you, when you're listening to them, how do you see them, Matt? That's what they would ask me. And it's like, what do you mean? Well, how do you see them? Do you see them as fragile? And I would say, Yes. I, yeah, I see them as fragile, you know, they're having a hard time. Okay, that's good. They are fragile. They're, human beings are fragile. They're fundamentally fragile. Is that all you see? Are they only fragile? What do you mean? Well, human beings are also resilient, incredibly resilient. Oh, yeah, you're right. I guess they can be really resilient. Yeah, they're not one or the other, they're both. You are both all the time. You're fundamentally incredibly fragile, <laughs> all of us, and incredibly resilient at the same time. And here's the beauty, when you honor both, when you hold both in its dignity, right? Like with all grace and truth, and you recognize both in a person, that's where explosive growth happens unbelievable growth for people when both are honored. It's the beautiful mosaic of the human life, fragility and resilience at the same time. Now, my point is this. Um, this is multiplied to the cosmic degree in your own life when you are united to Jesus and you are seeking to live for him and serve him and be in his presence and delight in him. This can be multiplied to the cosmic degree because Jesus honors both like no one I've ever seen, encountered, or read about. 
He honors both all the time. Because see, realize Jesus never casts these disciples out for their fragile moments, their mistakes, their, their failures, their, their cowardly faith. Like he never casts them out. Like he sticks with them. He forgives them. He will continue to, to, to work out his plan of salvation and save them. He will establish them as brothers in partnership with his mission to save the world. He will do all of that. But he also won't shy away from asking a hard question that makes you a little angry because he respects their resiliency in him. He doesn't see them as only fragile the way we see them. I read the story and I go, well, that's mean. And Jesus says, you don't know how they're made. I do. You see that? And so there's a sense which you, 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 when you try to soften it, what you're doing is, is you're saying, I don't want them to grow. I want them to stay just like they are. You want them to stay cowards and failures? Is that what you want for them? Jesus says, I want something better for them. I want them to change. I want to see the power of the living God unlocked in them. That's what I want to see. It's possible. And so, you know, even though he calms that particular storm, more storms are going to come. Harder ones are going to come for them. And he will continue to shock them and us and the hearts and sometimes the things that he calls them to, calls them to greater capacities in what they believe is possible of their own hearts, their own imagination. So please hear me as we wrap up here. Please just hear what I'm actually trying to say. I, I, we are not heroes of our own story. Jesus is, okay? However, Jesus doesn't skip us in the process of his redemption. Like that's not what he does. He makes us a part of the work that he's doing. He includes you into it. And he asks hard things of you. Jesus will go to the cross. Like as we track through the book of Mark and go all the way to the end of it, Jesus will go to the cross and his body will be broken to the point of death. And his heart will be incredibly broken. I mean, when Jesus gets up on the cross, he's not just dying, he's being abandoned by the Father. All of that will happen. I mean, Jesus' heart will be broken so that when your heart is breaking, because it will break, you can know that there is greater capacity within you. That's what happens. As much as I wish that that wasn't true, as much as I wish that there was an easier way, put it that way. I know that this is the only way in which my heart can fully experience deep lasting change. It's getting to the point where I'm like, I, I don't see a way here. I don't know what is possible. And Jesus says, you don't know yourself as well as you think you do. I know you. Stay close to me. Cling to me. I will take you to places that are terrifying, but I will also totally, totally transform you. That's what happens. And so if you're tired this morning, take a nap. <laughs> it's okay. Some of you already are. That's great. <laughs> Rest. It's okay to step back, to be still, to get refreshed, please, you know? Like, do that, but don't run. Here's the other thing. Don't run from your fear. Don't run from your fear. 
Lean into it. Don't run from the hard questions that Jesus is asking of you. What if he knows more about the kind of courage your heart is capable of than you do, right? What if that's true? And if you don't know that this morning and you're not a Christian this morning, man, I pray you stick around. I, 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 I pray you look at Jesus like truly with like, with like a fresh lens and you go, who is like this? No one, no one. No one will respect your person, your physicality, your soul like Jesus. And no one will also ask as hard of questions as Jesus. That's the, that's the beauty of him. And so I pray that you do that. I, I pray that you'll think about that. And if you are a Christian this morning, you're invited to come forward and take part in the Lord's Supper. This bread is, uh, represents Jesus' body broken for us. This is what he did um, the night he was betrayed and last night he ate supper with his, with his friends, his disciples. He took the cup of wine and, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. It represents the blood shed on the cross for us. And so you're, take a minute, take two minutes, take three minutes, come forward to this station or this station and take part. And we're proclaiming his broken heart. We're proclaiming his broken body in our place that there is capacity beyond our wildest imaginations in Christ, in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you this morning for the children that we had. Thank you for the family members, the friends, and thank you for the community that we have. You've made it all possible because of your son and the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. May we continue to be reminded that it is okay to be still. That sweet sleep is available to those who come to you that you're not going to work us into the ground. But that being said, Father, you do stretch our hearts. You stretch our minds. You stretch what we think is possible. And so we want to lean in. There is power in that kind of vulnerability. There is power in that kind of bravery. It It is possible in you. Thank you this morning. Bless us as we leave. Bless us as we continue to sing. Bless this time as we take this meal, remembering your son. It's in his name, Jesus' name. Amen.